Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about effective tools to overcome childhood trauma. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Odile Remmert. Odile is a subconscious reprogramming specialist, empowerment coach, author, speaker, and author of Change What Happened to You, How to Use Neuroscience to Get the Life You Want by Changing Your Negative Childhood Memories. You can reach Odile at her website, theremmertmethod.com, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Welcome, Odile. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited because to me, dealing and being able to understand and to overcome childhood trauma is just fascinating. It is a passion to me because this is a problem that so many people have. And for a very long time, it was just no one understood. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand how it affected people. And they certainly didn't know what to do with it. And now there are so many tools and resources to be able to overcome and to be able to be healthy and happy. And I'm delighted to learn about the tool that you bring to the table today. So is it okay if we start before we get into the Remert method about what, what brought you into this um, in, into this field? What, why does this matter to you? Yes, of course. Um, yes. Yeah, so toward the end of 2015, at 51 years old, I was divorced, depressed, renting a room in a shared house in England, cleaning other people's houses and unable to pay my bills. I had fibromyalgia and IBS. And it, I tried everything. I went through all of the books and the modalities, and I was constantly searching for answers. And I, I kind of threw myself into whatever I found to try and make the changes. And nothing worked for me, or certainly nothing stuck, and it didn't work permanently. A few months later, in 2016, not only was I able to pay my bills and didn't have fibromyalgia or IBS anymore, but I was also traveling internationally. And even paying for my son and my sister to join me on one of my trips to Greece. And what I had discovered is the bits that we share now with others. Uh, so the uh, the childhood memories and the brain chemistry stuff, which I'm going to share, of course, during our conversation. Um, in 2017, I met and married the love of my life, Steve, who's my co the co-author of, of the book. And I now live in America which is where I'd always wanted to, to live. In fact, I'm a new American citizen, which I'm thrilled about. Okay. And I ended up owning two of the properties that I used to clean back in 2015. <laughs> that's why I share this, because I desperately needed this, you know, before 51 years old, if possible. And I feel it's so important to get it out to as many people as possible so they're empowered to make the changes themselves. Oh, you and I are on the same page. I love to be able to help empower people to become their best selves and to be able to heal. Now, as you go through your story, you struggled financially and you were also struggling in your relationships or lack of and physical health. And it is so interesting and important to understand that when we are able to address the root of the problem then it takes care of so many other things. We not only feel better mentally and emotionally, which we want, but we also feel better physically. And then everything seems to turn out 
better. Our our finances turn out better. Our relationships turn out better. If people really understood the power that they have, we would have a lot more happy, successful people. So thank you for not only doing what you did and showing that example, but now being willing to pay it forward. So let's talk about it. Tell me how on earth do we not only address and release these old childhood memories, but how do we change them? (laughs) Yes, of course. So um, there are three pillars to what we do. The first is, um, and we we, uh, use the analogy of driving. So if you want to, if you think of whatever results in your life you want to achieve as your new destination, you're going to drive from wherever you are now to that new destination. Now, if you don't know how to drive, of course, you won't get very far. So the equivalent of that is learning to control your own brain and body chemistry. So that's the first piece. Then once you can drive the vehicle, and I, I'm, I'd be very happy to share our little exercise uh, with you today. It's under two minutes. Uh, yes. so that people can use that. That's how to how to control your own brain and body chemistry. And then once you know how to drive, then you need to change the GPS to match that end destination. And the GPS is the unconscious part of the brain. And the GPS coordinates are the implicit or unconscious childhood memories. So uh, the brain keeps us in alignment with whatever we experienced in our childhood, not with what we're try- consciously trying to achieve now. So uh, now, of course, people say, well, can memories really be changed? And according to the latest in neuroscience, not only can they be changed, they're already changing. So as we recall in them, memories are not stored in a particular part of the brain. They're stored throughout the brain as pieces of data. And as we recall a memory, it's pulled together like a jigsaw puzzle. And as we do that, the brain updates and changes it slightly each time. And then we file the new version of that memory. And I've actually got a fantastic example of this that uh, was I, I didn't realize until I was editing the book. There's a scene uh, in the uh, in chapter one where I talk about where I was going. I was about to commit suicide. And next to uh, next to me, my phone rang on the passenger. I was in my car. There was a, uh, my phone rang on the passenger seat. And as I was writing it, I had the clear picture in my head, the clear memory. And it was only later when I was registered, when I was uh, editing it, I realized the vision I had was of the phone on my, um, on my right-hand side. So I was in the driver's seat, phone was on the passenger seat on the right-hand side. And I thought it couldn't have been because I was in England So it had to, the phone had to be on my left, but my brain, because I've been living in America for five years now and driving over here, my brain automatically updated just that piece. I would have sworn in court it was on the right-hand side. So that's a little example of how the brain is already doing it. So we can now do it intentionally. Wow, isn't that crazy? Oh, You know, and it's a little disconcerting because it means we can't necessarily trust our memories. Now, I was aware that the brain, our memories store in different places, and then it becomes malleable when we recall it. But I was only thinking about the ability to take the emotions that come with it and being able to remove them or change them. 
But to change the actual memory itself, hmm, it's going to take me a minute to wrap my head around it and all of the implications that go with that. Wow, crazy. Okay, so now that we have this disconcerting idea that we can't trust our memories 100%, that's kind of the bad news. Let's hear the good news about it of since this is a possibility, how can we use this to our advantage? Absolutely. So it's incredibly empowering because when we change an an implicit childhood memory, an unconscious childhood memory, we or any memory, in fact, we're changing it in the unconscious part of the brain so that the unconscious part of the brain will believe the new memory, but we can still remember consciously what originally happened. So again, that analogy... (laughs) When you change the coordinates of your GPS and you go, I want to drive from here to the beach um, and you're in the city. So you change the coordinates in the GPS to match the beach. The the GPS will accept those new coordinates and it will lead you to the beach. But you as the driver still know that you were in the city or you are in the city now and you're going to the beach. That's the So the driver is the conscious mind. And the GPS is the unconscious part of the brain. So when you watch a movie, for example, a scary movie, you'll find that you your brain and body go into the same fight, freeze, flight state they would if you were in real physical danger. And it's only your conscious mind that knows it's just a movie. So the only thing stopping you from running screaming into the street is that your conscious mind knows it's just a movie. But your the unconscious part of your brain is still putting you into that fight, freeze, flight state. So the same thing happens with memories. We take a a negative childhood memory and we, and I can take you through the process. We bring the emotions down first by changing the brain chemistry because emotions are chemistry, chemicals. So we switch from stress chemicals to feel good chemicals. Once the emotions are down, then we change the memory the same way you would change a phone number by imagining it differently and then repeating it and adding feel-good chemicals to it. So endorphin, serotonin, oxytocin. And the brain then prioritizes that for long-term storage. So for example, I can give you an example of a memory like this. Um, One of the first memories I changed. Oh, yes, please. (laughs) I was about 11 years old. And all I had of this memory was I was standing in the doorway to my grandparents' bedroom. My grandfather was sitting on the bed and next to him was a brown leather belt. And I was standing just frozen. And that's all the memory was. Um, he, he actually never used it in the end. It was just to frighten me. But all I had was me standing in the doorway frozen. I changed it so that now when I think of that memory, on the he's sitting on the bed, on the bed next to him, instead of a brown leather belt, is a pink feather boa. And he's playing with the feather boa. He's wearing it and playing the fool. And, and so now that memory doesn't, There's no threat. And the way this uh, sort of changed who I am and how the world works for me is I used to feel intimidated by older men. So I would feel incompetent. I would feel nervous. And it wasn't just that one memory of my grandfather. Of course, there, there were a lot of memories. I changed all of them. But the way it I changed that memory, that uh, that particular memory and Now, when I am in the presence of older men, I don't feel intimidated. I don't feel any negative feelings at all. Um, And that's because my brain is now referring, instead of to a brown leather belt, it's referring to a funny memory. So there's no threat. So there's no stress chemicals. 
Okay. So now I'm thinking about Harry Potter and the Boggart. Yes, exactly. I've used that example in the past. That is exactly. So you pull out whatever the scary thing is and tweak it a little bit so that it is not so scary. And then we're able to handle it. Oh, that is really cool. You know, and as a little bit of um, backup for people who this whole idea seems totally new and totally crazy, um, there is a book called The Body Keeps a Score by Dr. Um, Bessel van der Kolk. And in the book, he explains different ways to overcome childhood trauma. And in this book, there is a section where it includes some of the modalities that have been proven to work. And one of them, at least one, works with changing the memories and they do it through a uh, role play. So, um, so what you're saying and this method that you're suggesting is similar to something else that has been tried and scientifically proven to work. And so if those who are listening are thinking, what in the heck are you talking about? This is not coming out of left field. This is a new uh, and proven research that can really change our lives. And you talk a lot about our body chemistry and about working with the brain. So can you explain a little bit more so we can help get some buy-in from people who have never heard of this sort of thing before? And they can say, Odile, are you, are you pulling this out of thin air? Or, or is there, is there some, some evidence to suggest that this is a real thing? All right. Yes, of course. This is my favorite topic. <laughs> so uh, the basics of uh, neuroscience or this part of neuroscience is that thoughts are connections between neurons or nerve cells in the neocortex of the brain. So as we have a thought, that's connections between those nerve cells, those neurons. Now, every connect, the, those connections between neurons trigger matching chemicals. So to put it very simplistically, Negative thoughts trigger stress chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol, and positive thoughts trigger feel-good chemicals like endorphins, serotonin, oxytocin. So as we think of something we're worried about, it's not just a sort of esoteric thought. It's a physical uh, process. It's a connection between cells that trigger the stress chemicals that enter our bloodstream and cause you know, an increase in heart rate and various other uh, redirection of blood flow and all of that. And we feel that at those sensations and that we recognize those as emotions. So as we think of something we're worried about, we produce the fight, freeze, flight chemicals, uh, stress chemicals. As we think of something we love or something we're grateful for or something we're looking forward to, we start producing endorphins, serotonin and oxytocin, which create good feelings. Now, the interesting thing about this, and the reason it's so exciting, is that it takes just 60 to 90 seconds to change from stress chemicals to feel-good chemicals, if you keep your focus off the negative and on the positive for that 60 to 90 seconds. So for more on that, um, Dr. Uh, oh, Dr. Jill Ah, no, I've forgotten her name for the moment. I'll, it'll come to me. But she calls it her 90-second rule the 90 second rule. And it's based on neuroscience. It takes 60 to 90 seconds for the peak and dissipation of those chemicals. So um, for example, if you were able to keep your focus on something you love or something you're grateful for, for just 60 to 90 seconds, 
you will change your brain brain chemistry. And I'm going to give you a little exercise to do that. Um, if you start thinking about the negative thing, you will then, of course, restart that 90 second clock. So it just takes practice. Some practice. Okay. And you said you were going to tell me how to do this. Yes. So uh, if, if for this exercise, you'll need a, a, what we call a subject. So a um, it can be a person or an animal, something or someone you love, but nothing with um, no negative connotation. So no worry or guilt or missing or longing or anything like that. So just uh, so it could be a, a baby, a child who, you know, or a, a pet or an animal that's not your pet, but you like you, you think they're cute. So like elephants or penguins. And if you can't think of a person or an animal, you can use a place you love like Hawaii or an activity that you love. So have you got something? Yes, I'm going to use my granddaughter. Very good. Perfect. All right. So take a deep and everybody who's listening can follow along with this. So take a deep breath, close your eyes. And I want you to start by thinking of your favorite color. And if you don't have a favorite, just pick one you like. Very good. And now imagine being surrounded by that color. Imagine being surrounded by that beautiful color and feel the feeling of that color. Good job. And now I want you to think of that person, animal, place or activity you love and imagine holding them in your arms in a hug. And notice the feeling, the physical feeling of love in your chest or solar plexus. And now imagine that feeling as a ball of light or energy. And imagine it spreading down to your toes up to the top of your head and out to your fingertips. So you're now full of that light, that energy, that love. And now imagine that light, that energy overflows from you, radiates out and fills the whole room you're in. And you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you just changed your brain chemistry. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> When I first learned that we have the power to change the chemistry in our bodies, it is so incredibly empowering. And as you're talking about how these emotions are chemicals and how when we have a feeling, it brings stress chemicals or it brings feel-good chemicals. And we often have this idea of kind of the chicken and the egg, which came first? And you think, well, first comes the chemicals or the circumstances, and then I react with the feeling. And isn't it awesome that we can start this cycle from ourselves? We can say, hey, if I choose some positive thoughts, my brain is going to respond by producing these positive chemicals and I will feel good. It just is, it just is amazing because so many people think, no, you don't understand. I feel miserable because my life is miserable. If you knew how miserable my life was, then you would be able to understand why I am in the place that I am. And you know, that may absolutely be true. We all have our starting point and our starting time, as you mentioned, sometimes we're ready a little sooner than others to, to make these changes. But from wherever our starting point is, we have the power to change and to move forward. And I think that is brilliant. 
It is. And I have to add something here as well, is the reason it can be so difficult to do. So the reason it can be, it's easier to feel bad than to feel good is because the stress chemicals that create negative emotions are for survival. They're the fight, freeze, flight chemicals. So those stress chemicals are stronger than feel good chemicals because it's more important to keep our focus on the bear that's going to attack us than on the pretty flowers. So the that's why we want to practice this exercise when we don't need it to build up the ability and condition the brain and body to produce lower levels of stress chemicals um, and higher levels of feel-good chemicals and develop that skill so that when we do need it, when we are triggered, it's easier to do it. And the other thing, we have a thing called zero tolerance, which means as soon as you notice you're starting to feel you're not feeling good, immediately use this little exercise or change your focus in another way so that you can switch your chemistry before those stress chemicals get too high to be able to do it. Oh, I love that. Okay, so I'm going to go back and repeat some of those things because they are worth repeating. When you explain that it is easier to go to the negative than it is to the positive, and that is something that I think every person has experienced, it is so easy to go to the negative, but there is a reason behind it, and it is for our survival. So, this is our brain trying to help us out. And so we shouldn't be upset that it just goes easier to the negative than it does to the positive. There is a purpose. So part of what we need to do is to recognize between real threats and those imagined kinds of threats to be able to not do that false alarm so that we can be in that happy place. And how I love that you said, let's practice this before we need it so that we can have some success in our practicing and strengthen those happy muscles so that we can do it in a time of uh, where we we really need to to make that chemical shift. So love it. (laughs) Right. And I I talk about it like a, if you wanted to start, uh, if you want to run a marathon, you wouldn't wait until the day of the marathon to start running. You'd need to run a little bit every day and build it up. And this is exactly the same because it's physical. You tend to think of emotions as kind of, uh, you know, esoteric or out there or intangible, but this it's all physiological. So just like you would physically train for a marathon or practice a musical instrument, that's, that's what this, this exercise is about, developing the skill and conditioning your brain and body. Oh, so we can practice our happy muscles. And you know, as you're talking about this idea, as we're learning that this, our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, they are not just out there. For the longest time, it has been very normal to put the different aspects of our life in like little separate categories, like a little bento box where they don't touch. Your physical does not touch your mental, does not touch your emotional, does not touch what we do at work, does not touch our relationships. And now as we're recognizing that is not the case at all. In fact, you're maybe aware, but according to the CDC, over 90% of our physical ailments are actually psychosomatic. And people misunderstand that one too. They think that means, oh, that means there's nothing really wrong with you. It's all in your head. You're just a hypochondriac. When that is not the case at all, 
it means there is a physical, physiological connection between our thoughts, our emotions, and our bodies, which is why you were able to make that amazing transformation where once you get this inside feeling better, then our body responds because our bodies tend to manifest in a physical way what we're feeling, our stresses, whether they're past or present or a big fat compilation. That's right. And the way that works on a molecular level is the one of the effects of stress chemicals, so adrenaline, cortisol, and so on, is blood is redirected from the organs to the extremities for running away or fighting. So, which is, you know, practical, that's helpful, um, short term. But when we are living in that state of stress, it means the organs aren't getting the blood flow they need. Cells are in protection mode instead of growth mode. Digestion is is, uh, shut down or or reduced. Um, So healing is delayed. So every time we start to heal uh, in whatever way, the the body goes into emergency again. So I have this little vision of we've got little workmen in our bodies going around fixing stuff like they would in a house. But every you know, few minutes or every hour or certainly regularly, the alarm goes off, the fire alarm goes off. So they all have to stop what they're doing, put on their fire outfits and run around looking for a fire and there is no fire. (laughs) So we keep interrupting the healing because of those stress chemicals. I like that picture. I think that's very accurate and it helps to be able to kind of put a picture to go with what's going on inside of our bodies. That's amazing. Now, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover today before we close? I think you said you were going to offer something to our listeners to help them get started. Absolutely. Uh, First of all, I'd like to give you just the, at least the beginning of how to find and change a negative childhood. Yes, please. Great. So uh, there are three main questions we ask. So the first is, how do you know it's a problem? So in my case, addressing the uh, the money issues, for example, my answer to that was, well, I, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. The second question is, how does that feel? And in my case, it felt like I felt I feel like they want something of me and I don't have it to give them. So for different people, it's going to have a different feeling. But that was the feeling for me. The third question is, where in your childhood did you feel that feeling, but it may be a different topic, the same feeling? And for me, it was my entire childhood, and it was expectations. They wanted me to be something I couldn't be. And so my brain was then reproducing that same state, that same experience, that same feeling using money instead of expectations from parents. So uh, the three questions how do I know? How does that feel? And where in my childhood did I feel that feeling? Maybe a different topic, but will be the same feeling. And then you make a list of whatever memories come. And if you can't think of any memories at all, or just very few, don't worry about it. Create new childhood memories from scratch. And you'll soon find you may think of negative memories that contradict those, and then you can change those. So you make a list of the the memories that come. Uh, and then address them in order of age from the earliest to onwards, because the, the earlier ones are, of course, the foundation, the roots. And you uh, change them to the opposite, positive and empowering. Um, the process of changing them is in the little gift I can I, I have for your for your listeners. So um, 
I, we, we've got a book called Change What Happened to You, um, how to use neuroscience to get the life you want by changing your negative childhood memories. It's got uh, great detail on everything we've discussed here, and it's available everywhere books are sold. But I would like to offer your listeners a free ebook version of the book. So it's a PDF um, of the full book. And uh, to get that, you can go to theremitmethod.com and remit is spelled R-E-M-M-E-R-T, theremitmethod.com forward slash podcast gift. And you can fill in your your email and, and we'll send you the book from there. Oh, that's wonderful. How marvelous. Thank you for what you have done and for being willing to share it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are so very welcome, Linda. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. It has been a pleasure for me as well. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Joy Marino. She said, people raised on love see things differently than those raised on survival. If you have been raised on survival, I invite you to heal so that you can see yourself and the world in a whole new light. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. Please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. And if you'd like to heal your life from the inside out, there is a free video series at hopeforhealingfoundation.org. Just click on the free stuff tab. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed, A Journey Through Depression, and You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.